We read scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 will begin at verse 1 and we'll read into chapter 5 through verse 8. And we read this in connection with the last two phrases of the Apostles' Creed. The resurrection of the body and life everlasting. We hear the inspired infallible word of our God in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Jesus, Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the denying of the Lord Jesus, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in 
this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We read that far. May God bless his word to our hearts. We read that passage in connection with our treatment of Lord's Day 22, which is found in the back of our Psalters on page 12. Question and answer 57. What comfort doth the resurrection of the body afford thee? That not only my soul after this life shall be immediately taken up to Christ its head, but also that this my body, being raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. What comfort takest thou from the article of life everlasting? That since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, after this life I shall inherit perfect salvation, which eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, this Lord's Day looks at both of the last articles of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. These two articles are viewed in terms of the comfort that they provide us as God's children. The theme of the catechism continues. What is thy only comfort in life and in death? There's misery. There are sorrows. Every grave marker is a monument of sorrow. Every obituary reveals many tears. And the tears of one household, it seems, are barely dried up. And now another household experiences sorrow and grief. There's no end to sorrow in the midst of this life. Letters, cards, visits are spoken to comfort those who mourn. People mean well. But ultimately, there's only one thing that can comfort in the face of death, and that is the truth of the sovereignty of God. That Jehovah God has all of our days numbered, and that He is the one who orders and fashions all things for the good of His church. And in addition to that, then, the wonder by which He has ordained the resurrection of the body as the means to life everlasting for his children who are in Jesus Christ. This is a marvelous wonder. My soul and the soul of my loved ones who die in Christ immediately at the moment of death are taken up to be with Christ. And then the blessed assurance that my body, when Christ returns, will be raised again 
from the dead in order that my body might be reunited to my soul and that I might enjoy the blessedness of life with my God to all eternity. This is the comfort, beloved, that dries the streams of tears. This is the comfort that relieves the weeping and wringing hands and the restless nights of sleep. This is the comfort when we watch our loved ones in pain and agony, suffering on their deathbed. Those who lack this comfort lack everything. The curse of God is upon them. There can only be horror as they face the prospect of death. But God's children lay hold upon this and cling to this comfort that at the moment of death, my soul goes to be with the God whom I love and who loved me with an everlasting love. And that I believe that I will live with Him forever in the bliss of heavenly glory. I believe the resurrection of the dead and the life ever everlasting. We look at that. Comfort for the future. Noting comfort in my soul. Comfort for my flesh. And then finally, comfort forever. It's striking that the catechism makes reference to our souls. We don't have any reference to soul in the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is speaking of the body. And yet, rightly, the catechism interprets that phrase to also address and deal with my soul. That not only my soul after this life will immediately be taken up to Christ, its head. Now we don't know much about the soul after the moment of death and the life that the soul enjoys in heaven with God. The Bible simply doesn't provide us with much information in that regard. And we call the time period between death and Christ's final return the intermediate state. The time which is intermediate. That is, it's not normal. It's not ordinary. It's with a view to something that's going to be the fulfillment and the fullness of it. And that intermediate state for Abel has been thousands and thousands of years. For others of God's saints, it's gone on for thousands of years. We don't know how long it will be for us between our death and the return of Jesus Christ to give unto us new bodies. But during that time period, what is the experience of the soul in heaven? How does the soul speak? How does the soul interact with other souls? How does the soul interact with God? We simply don't know. And the Bible doesn't give us much information with regard to that. The focus on the Bible is on the final return of Jesus and the hope that will be ours in everything that takes place in that day. What the Bible does reveal, it does for our comfort. And that is this blessed assurance. At the moment of death, there is no uncertainty as to what happens with our souls. Our souls immediately are taken up to Christ, its head. That's the important truth that we confess and that we need to know. The Apostle allows in his teaching here in 2 Corinthians 4... No time frame whatsoever, no length of time between the disillusion of our earthly house and entrance into the house of God in heaven. 
For we know, verse 1 of chapter 5, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. At the moment when this body is dissolved and we die, we have in heaven a place that God has ordained where we will live. There's no dispute with regard to that truth on the basis of Scripture. And you know those passages and we'll bring up more of them. But the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, immediately upon the death of Lazarus, he's brought into the bosom of Jesus Christ. We have the words of Jesus to the repentant malefactor, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Today. Immediately. Even though we know Jesus' body went to the grave, his soul, he went to heaven in order to be with that repentant malefactor. We know the teaching of Asaph in Psalm 73, the passage with which we opened our worship service this morning. We sing of that versification in Psalter number 203, that God guides us with his counsel and afterward receives us to glory. Negatively, that means there is no such thing as purgatory where our souls must first in some way be purified. There's no restless floating around on earth of all of these souls that have been released from their bodies and don't know where to go. That's the teaching of the, of the majority of world religions. That at the moment of death, souls are released and now all these souls are mysteriously floating around. Souls of all your loved ones. And then there's fear and there's terror with regard to those perhaps who are your enemies. And there's an attempt to try to appease them by various methods and means and it becomes very, very superstitious. That's not the teaching of Scripture. There's no unconscious sleep into which those souls sink after death. The Bible presents only two options. At the moment of death, the soul goes either to heaven or to hell. Those are the only two options. And that's the point of the Westminster Confession as laid out in the handout. In chapter 32, at the end of that section 1, on the first page, beside these two places, for souls separated from their bodies, the Scripture acknowledgeth none. Either heaven or hell. That's all that the Bible teaches. There's no uncertainties in that regard. Again, there are many fantasies about the place of souls. We leave all of those behind. And we submit to the clear teaching of the Bible which we embrace by faith. Positively then, I believe immediately, instantly, at the moment of death, the child of God is taken to be with Christ, his head, as to his soul. And that confidence is on the basis of so many passages of Scripture. Passages that speak, for instance, of the fact that death is gain. Paul in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Death would not be gain if our bodies went to the grave and our souls just floated around or our souls somehow went into sleep. Death is gain because though my body goes into the grave, immediately I am with Christ. I am now purged from all sin and live in the fullness of that blessedness of life with my God. We know that Jesus at death, his body went in the grave, his soul to heaven. Today, again, thou shalt be with me in paradise. 
And this means very practically then, at the moment of death, the believer does not sink into deeper death. But he's delivered from the body of death in order to pass on to the heavenly glory of perfect communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. Physical death becomes a servant. It now has been redeemed by God for believers as the tool, the servant of God, by which he now releases his children from the struggles of sin and from their sinful nature and brings them in soul into perfect communion and fellowship with him. It becomes the door to glory. According to the inner principle of life that is within us, that new life of Jesus Christ, by virtue of regeneration, we cannot die. There is no more death for our souls. At the moment of death then, though our body dies, our soul is brought to be with God everlastingly in life that is eternal. What a beautiful truth, truth, beloved. By virtue of the life that I have in Christ, I will not die. But live. And though I die, yet I shall live. My body will die, but my soul will live forever. That's the wondrous confession that we make by faith. I believe the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And I believe as regards my soul, that wonder immediately at death. Now here adds to the wonder. Our soul doesn't just automatically somehow float up to heaven. Sometimes we express it as though it's just something natural that takes place at the moment of death. This is a wonder, beloved. This is a miracle. Our soul is taken up to Christ. God actively takes His child now to be with Him. And He sends His angels as their messengers in order to bring those children into the glory and the bliss of heaven. This is a wonder of grace because those souls are not yet prepared for heaven. The soul itself needs to be purged and purified before it can enjoy the blessedness of heaven. But that wonder takes place at the moment of the death of a child of God. It's only possible because of Christ and what Christ did for us by his perfect sacrifice on Calvary. Our souls are also affected by depravity. Before they can enter into heavenly bliss, they need to be purged. And so God, on the basis of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, takes our souls immediately upon death and he purges them and brings them into heavenly bliss so that they are prepared for the glory of that communion and fellowship with the living God. This is again the wonder and the confession of God's children through the ages. Think of Stephen. He's being stoned to death. And as the stones are pelting him, and as increasingly he's losing physical consciousness, what do we read? That he looks up and he sees Jesus Christ. And he sees him standing. And what is Jesus doing? He's standing in order to receive Stephen's soul to be with him in glory. At the moment of death, God actively taking the souls of his loved, his beloved children, and bringing them into glory, declaring them righteous, purging them, and bringing them into the fullness of spiritual bliss. This is your and my comfort, beloved. 
Our soul is sinful. Our souls are corrupt. As long as our souls are within our flesh, they're corrupted by sin. Immediately, at the moment of death, our soul is purged, washed by the blood of Jesus Christ completely, and taken into glory. The body of this sin is destroyed, and the soul is separated from everything that is sinful. It's separated from all the consequences, all the suffering of sin. It's separated from everything earthly, so that now that soul is perfectly heavenly and perfectly spiritual. So that positively, our souls will live in heavenly life, enjoying the fullness of communion and fellowship with the living God, death to all eternity. confess that by faith. By faith we confess I am united to Jesus Christ. We confess that that union with Jesus Christ is the most intimate union. A union by which He dwells within me by His Spirit. At the same time we confess our faith is weak. Sin is prevalent within us and powerful so that that union is not always as we would desire it. We are foolish in the decisions we make and in the things that we pursue. We don't live in the consciousness as we ought of the joy and wonder of that union. There's a time now where there's a sense in which we're separated from our beloved bridegroom. We're on earth. He's in heaven. But what is our longing? The longing of our souls by faith is to be with my Lord. That's the confession that the Apostle makes here in verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But then verse 8, we are confident, I say, and willing, rather to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. You remember the Apostle Paul talked about this tension. On the one hand, he wanted to be with the saints. He wanted to be able to preach to them and teach them. On the other hand, he wanted to be with Christ. And he longed for that when he would enjoy the fullness of that bliss. Such it is with God's children. We are united to Christ by faith, but that faith falters at times. It's not as strong as it ought to be. Due to sin, we're affected adversely by the things of this world. And God stirs up within us increasingly that longing, that desire, the desire for the fullness of that fellowship where there will be no more battle against sin, where I can... Thank God, and I can love God in all of perfection. That longing, God creates within us. So that our longing for heaven is not for streets of gold, gates of pearl, as marvelous as that will be. Our longing for heaven is to be with Jesus. Now, we know in part. Now, it's we see as through a glass darkly, but then... Then we will be face to face and what a day. What a day of rejoicing that will be. God works the faith within us that that becomes our longing, our desire, our expectation. And we walk then, not by sight, but by faith. And that's the admonition of the apostle throughout this passage. Now, we suffer. There's suffering with regard to our bodies. There's death. We have to Visit sometimes loved ones whose bodies are laying in a coffin. 
difficult this is for us as we see their bodies and we think of the fact that no more will we ever see them or know them as we did previously. So final it is for us. But the apostle references in verse 18 of chapter 4, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Don't focus on the body. Don't focus on the death. Focus on the fact that God has given to us a victory that is everlasting. And that God gives that victory to our loved ones. Focus on the things that are not seen. The promises of God that are sure, everlasting, and eternal. That's the blessed hope that God gives to us. When our loved ones die and they go to heaven, often there's a longing to go to heaven in order to see our loved ones, to be with them. But we realize also that that again is not the chief reason why we want to go to heaven. And sometimes we're ashamed of that and we have to cry out to God for forgiveness. We want to go to heaven to be with Jesus. And we realize that in heaven there will be no marrying. Our relationships are not going to be the same as they were here on earth. There's going to be something far more glorious and far more grand. Just how our soul is going to live in heaven without our body is unknown to us. And that's the idea of the intermediate. We just don't understand. We can't fathom that all. But God says, don't worry about those details. By faith, lay hold upon this truth. Immediately at death, you will be with me. And I will bring you into the fullness of that joy. And you will live as my bride, joined by a true and living faith that no longer experiences any barriers or struggles due to sin. Heaven's not only fellowship with God in Jesus Christ, but it's the, it's the glory of God that we will seek. And that we look forward to. Now, we seek to give God glory. We seek to thank Him. And yet we realize how we fail. At the moment of death, when my soul is translated into glory, I will thank Him. I will praise Him to all eternity in the fullness of the joy that is mine in Him. This is the comfort with which we comfort one another. John 14, verse 3, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I will come. Again, the active character of this wonder. God, in Jesus Christ, coming to take every last one of His own to be with Him. And this is why we confess with the psalmist that the death of the saints is precious in God's sight. It's the means by which God brings them into the fullness of the joy of their salvation. Comfort with regard to our souls. But there's also comfort regarding our bodies. But also that this my body being raised by the power of Christ shall be reunited with my soul and made like unto the glorious body of Christ. The body is different from the soul. At death, the body goes into the grave. The soul immediately goes to heaven. The body returns to dust. There's a disillusion of that earthly house, as 5 
Chapter 5, verse 1 talked about. We know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, our bodies now, were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our bodies are important. We realize the importance of them, again, on the basis of the testimony of Scripture. Our bodies are called temples of the Holy Spirit. God has created us, body and soul, in His image. And the soul and the body cannot do one without the other here on earth. The soul expresses itself through our eyes and our hands and our feet and our labors. At death, however, there is this separation, again, that we can't understand. The body laid in the grave, it's only the body. Our loved one's not there. Our loved one is gone. The significance of the body is to direct us to the hope of the resurrection of the dead. The redemptive work of Jesus Christ. We have a building of God not made with hands. And that's the beauty of the heavenly home we have at the moment of death. Now some cannot see beyond the grave and become preoccupied with the grave and with the body of their loved one. Again, it's important for us to understand the significance of the grave is to direct our attention to the return of Christ. When the graves will be opened and when the work of Christ will be seen in its full glory. But that our loved ones are not there. They're in heaven. Every journey, therefore, to the cemetery brings us to utter a prayer with regard to the return of Jesus Christ and to express our faith in the resurrection from the dead. At death, my body goes into the grave in order to decay. Now what's striking again and something that we can't get our minds around from an earthly perspective is that we're not going to get another entirely different body. We're going to get the same body back in some way, though gloriously transformed. And the Catechism stresses that when it says, this my body, my very same body. Now again, how do we understand that? This body may be decayed, it may have been chewed up, it may have been burned with fire, it may have drowned and got ate up by sharks. This body, God will gather from the depths of the sea, from ashes, from the uttermost parts of the world, and God will restore according to His perfect, sovereign will. We don't know much, again, with regard to that wonder. We know that that body will be very, very different. It will be a spiritual body, not an earthly body, fit for life in a new heaven and a new earth where we don't have to eat, where we don't have to drink. There will be no defects. There will be no handicaps with regard to that body. The crooked will be made straight. There's not going to be any marrying, any giving in marriage. Our bodies made like unto the new glorious body of Jesus Christ. And what a wonder that will be. My body then reunited with my soul at that wondrous moment. And never, ever able again to be subject to death. That's already the case with regard to our souls. Our souls will live to all eternity. Our bodies now are subject to death. But upon the wonder of the resurrection, those bodies never again subject to death. 
Just what that looks like, just how that's accomplished again, is a wonder. Jesus, Enoch, and Elijah, for sure, are already in their glorified bodies in heaven. Now we know that Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples after his resurrection, yet had the holes in his palms and the hole in his side. You remember his instruction to the one who wouldn't, who was reluctant, wouldn't believe, didn't know. Do I really, do I really trust that Jesus arose from the dead? And Jesus said, Look at my hands. Thrust your finger into my palms. Look at my side. Now, how that is the case, that would seem to mean then that defects are preserved in that renewed body. But perhaps that's only the case with regard to Jesus, in order that Jesus, with regard to his body, stands out. But we know that Jehovah God will perform a wonder. And with that new body which is united now to our souls, we will be able to glorify and to praise God forever. And we will be fit for that specific place that God has ordained for us in heaven. He performing the final miracle and wonder of His grace as He restores each one of His children in all of their fullness for that labor that He has for them in heaven. Every one of God's children bearing the image of the heavenly in body and in soul. And the work of God's creation then continued, not lost. The work of God's creation, though affected by sin, now restored and perfected and glorified to all eternity. And God's saints look forward to the wonder by which we will receive the most beautiful work of the hands of God in a renewed body, a soul separated from sin and able to serve and glorify God without the influence of sin forever. Comfort with regard to my soul and my body, but also, beloved, a comfort with regard to a life that's everlasting. Since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy After this life, I shall inherit perfect salvation, which eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive, and that to praise God therein forever. Now notice the focus on now. Since I now feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, the significance of conversion for us as God's children is evident already now in this life. Already now, I believe that I am different. By a wonder of God's grace, I don't belong here below. I'm a stranger. I'm a pilgrim here below. I'm still a sinner, but I'm a Christian sinner. I'm a saint. I am, by virtue of my regeneration, a new person. I'm united to Christ. And the life I live is not my own. It's the life of Christ now living and dwelling within me. Already now, we're acquainted with eternal life. Fellowship with God in Jesus Christ. We enjoy that life. The relationship between the new life that we now live as saints and the heavenly life that we anticipate is the difference between a bud and a blossom. Now we enjoy the bud. It's there. We have it. 
But it's not fully opened yet. We look forward to the full opening of that blossom into the beautiful beauty of the flower. And the full beauty will be enjoyed in heavenly bliss. Where there's no bud, there's also no possibility of blossom. But where the principle of new life is, where God has given faith and where God has worked regeneration, there is a beginning. It's a small beginning, but it's a beginning. It's imperfect, imperfect, but there's a bud. And there will be a blossom by God's time and grace. In this life, just the beginning. In the life to come, the full wonder of that blessedness where we will praise God forever. This is the hope that lives within the heart of the child of God. And as we live in the midst of this life, we go forward by hope. A hope that is certain, that is sure, and a hope that anticipates the full realization of this life that now I know in part, but then will be fully revealed in all of its glory. Now the Catechism uses language that says, since now I feel in my heart. And perhaps that could be interpreted as though this eternal life that we enjoy now is just a matter of feelings. The Catechism's intent is not to teach that. That the experience of eternal life now is just some kind of emotional response. We think of, for instance, the three disciples that were with Jesus on the mountain of transfiguration. Remember their response. As they saw the wonder of the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ, there was an emotional response that was based on their feelings. Let's stay here forever. Let's build three little tabernacles in order that we can stay here. They wanted to keep Moses and Elijah on earth instead of allowing them to go back to the glory of heaven. An emotional response based on the tremendous feelings that they were experiencing there as they witnessed the glory of God in Jesus Christ. That's not the idea here. This is a concrete desire to serve God and to live with Him forever. And it shows itself in a desire and delight to do the will of God so that I now feel in my heart this desire, I love God, and I delight in Him, and I want to live unto Him. And the whole of my life is not to be directed to myself and my own glory. My life is about God. It's about Him. And I know that feeling. It lives within me. Doing the will of God is what makes my life joyous and happy. Sin is what makes my life miserable. Doing my own will, pursuing my own lusts results in all kinds of trouble. My highest pleasure and delight is in doing the will of my Heavenly Father. That's my joy. And that's the beginning of eternal joy. It's not just a matter of feeling. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of the desire. It's a matter of my hands and my feet pursuing the things that are pleasing to my Heavenly Father. In the midst of that desire and that obedience, we need comfort. Why? Because it's such a small beginning again. Because we make a little headway and then it seems like we go backward and we give ourselves again over to the pursuit of our own will and our own way. Christ is my strength. 
Christ is my hope. In Christ, I am able to walk obediently. In Him, I can do all things. And I can glorify and honor Him. Through Him, I can deny myself and pursue the things that are spiritual and heavenly. Through Him, I look for the fullness of that joy heavenly bliss. That perfect blessedness is a blessedness that is so marvelous that we cannot even fathom it. The Bible talks and the Catechism reflects, Eye hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath it entered into the heart of man to conceive. The glory of heaven is so beyond our comprehension. Immediately at death, that glory is ours. That eternal life we know now and we will experience in all of its fullness. And what is the blessedness, especially at the moment of death? It's a comfort, first of all, that there will be no more curse. Curse is gone. Secondly, that I will see God in Jesus Christ. Now just to expand on that, we can't see God. He's the invisible, all-comprehensible God. We don't see His infinite being, but He will reveal Himself in Christ. And in heaven, we see the highest reflection of God in Jesus Christ. Now we have a reflection in the Bible. And we love the Word of God. And we study it. And we delve into it. There's a depth there that we cannot even begin to fathom. But then we will have the Word not in print merely, but we will have the incarnate Word, Jesus Christ. Now we look through a glass darkly, then face to face. The veil lifted, and the Son of God Himself, the one who feeds and nourishes and strengthens us. Thirdly, we will be known as His. Now there's struggles. We know that He loves us. We know that He set our names in His precious book. But yet the devil does battle against us. And our flesh at times is struggles with doubts and with fears. God's name will be on our foreheads. We will know Him and we will be known as His. Marked by His virtues. The light of God shining in all of its marvelous power and brightness distinctly in us. And finally, when Christ returns in glory, we will return with Him in order to reign with Christ in the new Jerusalem. Beloved, what wonders God has revealed for us. By faith, we lay hold on it. I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Heaven is an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away. The Bible uses figurative language in order to try to describe what heaven is not. What it is, is unspeakable. Fellowship with God, in which we will praise Him forever. There will be work to do. We don't know what the nature of that work is going to be. We're going to be busy. We're going to be busy serving and glorifying and honor Him and performing the work that He set before us in our bodies and in our souls. Perfectly fit for that glorious labor. And now our prayer, our cry then is, O living God, how our souls long to taste Thy grace and to see Thy face. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank Thee for the glorious hope that Thou hast given.
for the faith by which we lay hold on it. Strengthen that faith that we might walk not by sight, but that we might go forward believing that even now our Lord Jesus Christ is preparing a place for us. And when the body of this tabernacle is dissolved, we have that glorious place with thee in glory. Strengthen our faith, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We turn to Psalm.